What's good, everyone? This is Cheats, and you are about to listen to a special edition of Top Billing. It's a one-on-one interview with the executive director of the Richmond Cycling Corps, Craig Dotson. The Richmond Cycling Corps is a nonprofit organization that's based here in Richmond, Virginia. It has been an explosive week for the Richmond Cycling Corps, dating back to last Friday when the RCC posted a kind of an editorial post, an essay post from one of their youth, Daquan, a 17-year-old African-American male. Um, They posted their perspective in regards to Monument Avenue and monuments. That post has now been shared to date uh, over 19,000 times. It has left over six six thousand comments it's basically gone viral it's invoked a lot of emotion from all over the place regarding Daquan's words the responsibility of the Richmond Cycling Corps the responsibility of their staff and their executive director I was granted the opportunity to sit down with Craig I welcome the opportunity uh, to be frank we were able to discuss the background of the RCC what kind of led up to taking the children to see the monuments. We talked about Daquan's post, the reaction to Daquan's post, the responsibility of the, R- of the RCC. We talked about reactions moving forward. The conversation lasts about an hour. This episode of Top Billing is not sponsored. If you're interested in sponsoring the Top Billing podcast, email me at thecheatsmovement at gmail.com. Without further ado, one-on-one with Richmond Cycling Corps Executive Director, Craig Dotson. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is Cheats, and this is the Top Billing Podcast. This is a very special podcast, uh, a timely podcast. I am sitting next to a good friend of mine, someone that I've known for some time now. I know his organization. It is called the Richmond Cycling Corps, and it has been a uh, special or interesting week. We'll get into all of that, and we'll get into some other things regarding the Richmond Cycling Corps, the RCC. I'm sitting next to, uh, again, my good buddy, Craig Dotson, who is the executive director of the RCC. Craig, how's it going, man? It's good, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, it has been an interesting week, to say the least. Uh, controversial, uh, widely public, publicized week. There's a lot of things that has happened in the last seven days, or, or since last Friday, that we are going to talk about. And I want to just start with full disclosure. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a, a lot of that. But where we're going to start, and we'll just kind of give the structure of this podcast and the structure of the interview uh, for people that are kind of looking for certain things uh, that are going to come out of it. We're gonna, we are going to talk a little bit about, uh, we're going to talk about the RCC, Richmond Cycling Corps. We're going to talk about its background um, because I think it's important for people to understand um, the work that the RCC does and kind of dissect that and dissect the work that you do and dissect the work that your staff does and what's kind of leading up to what people may have heard about going into the RCC. We are going to talk about uh, last Friday's Facebook post from one of the RCC, uh, one of the RCC students, uh, ambassadors, whatever you want to call it, it's, uh, young youth, young youth member. youth member, young man by the name of Dequan. Uh, we're going to talk about the reaction to that, and all in all of that, we're going to talk about you know roles of adults, roles of children, leadership, race. We're going to get into all of that, and we're also going to get into going forward. Uh, what's what's the mission of the RCC and how, uh, what what lessons have been learned, what lessons that we can take away, and how we're going to apply those lessons going forward, or how you're going to apply those lessons going forward. So, before we get into anything else, I just want to thank you for uh, coming to the podcast yeah. and and having a conversation about this. Tell me a little bit about for those that don't know. There's a lot of talk and there's a lot of commentary, especially on social media, from people that do not know the Richmond Cycling Corps. For the people that are listening to this interview, tell us about the Richmond Cycling Corps, how it started, how you got it started, um, and its mission, its core mission. Yeah, absolutely. We're in the trenches, man. Um, You know, 24-7, 365 days a year. And 
It did start as a, as a cycling program by the second or third year. 90% of the work we were doing had nothing to do with bikes. Um, we had built such a connection with the youth, young people in our program, and by extension the community uh, in public housing, namely Fairfield Court. Um, we just started handling almost like, uh, like caseworkers. Um, but really at a very, very deep level. So for the first couple of years, we really didn't talk a lot about the true work of what we did. Uh, and frankly, that's because we were a little insecure about it. Um, we knew we were getting in deep, but we didn't know if we were qualified. But what we did know is the kids we were working with, their guardians and the community did think we were qualified. So we just kept going. Uh, and in that process, you know, we kept putting out a lot of narrative about bikes. Um, and so the one thing that got us traction early on was also our greatest distraction. Um, and I get that. I, I understand how that sort of flipped people sometimes. Um, Explain that, though. What do you mean? Well, the, the bike is kind of the, the easy thing to focus on. You know, it's kids in public housing doing amazing things on bicycles. So it's easy to attach yourself to that and think, that's what we do, that's who we are, and that's merely a facet of what we do. Um, more, more of a hook, you know, it's more of a hook to get kids into a case management program. Um, but you, you know, I'm kind of blowing the lid off of it. Um, but I think the kids have, have, have picked up on it by now. I think the, the community has certainly picked up on it by now. That if we were just a cycling program, I mean, why are we the first ones in the emergency room when one of our kids are shot? Why are we in the courtrooms when they're locked up? Why, why do we have such good relationships with their probation officers? Why are we running through public housing in the middle of the night to check on kids? Um, why are we always on call? Um, why are we the first call when there's an emergency? And so we had to kind of table the program with bikes to get in and build the connections. And then from there, it's been 110% about relationships and leveraging those relationships to, to get these kids out, to get, uh, to get their trust. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the real work of what we do is, uh, is relationship building with kids who are, incredibly marginalized and 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 shut down shut out and, and so let me ask because i'm sure um this is one of the instances like was that the mission when the richmond cycling course started was that we're going to go and work with kids and work about better in their circumstance or was it was it about bikes like was it about getting a program in which kids because i i i we just got to be frank, and yeah. we can talk about race now, or we can talk about it later. Mm -hmm. But the fact that yeah. you're a white guy, yeah. not from Richmond, yeah. you're working with uh, inner city youth, most predominantly African American, yeah. um, and now it, th there's always a fear, and I have that myself, yeah. of uh, these these white people mentality coming yeah. in and working with inner city kids with an agenda yeah. of doing certain things, and I think that's. A part we'll talk yeah. about it later, but so was there an agenda there, or was it just something that? The agenda was, it wasn't white guilt. It was guilt with myself. I I had been a a, a bike racer uh, all through my twenties, living an incredibly narcissistic lifestyle, incredibly selfish, and so I had this naive approach that individuals who I thought could use help could use this, this, uh, this tool, this medium that certainly helped me through my life. And that in and of itself was completely, completely ignorant. It should have never worked. But after the first year, you know, I realized I'm not doing this to push an agenda to work with quote unquote black kids. My agenda was to help the most underserved kids in in this in this city who saw me as the person that could do it and by the way they happened to be black 
that we got away from pushing that very, I mean, what, what, we never pushed it, but we got very much away from and tried to get away from that stigma of the white savior. As you say, but because what I'm saying, I want, I, want, I want to be clear to you. Are you one of those people that's like, oh, we don't see race? No, we very much see race. Okay. No, uh, that's, trust me. Okay. Look, optics are everything, and we're not, we're not, we're not tone deaf to that. Mm -hmm. Hmm. But perhaps the thing that needs to to be said is, do our kids see race that we work with? Mm. Because. I guarantee you they do. I guarantee you they do. <laughs> and, and if people, look, absolutely they do. But there was a little bit, I think, of we destabilized some of that. And I think that's why there was some effectiveness early on. Because we went in and you're not supposed to see a guy that looks like me running through the cuts at 1 a.m., banging on doors, rolling up the crews, looking for a kid. And so there's a little bit of destabilization uh, of like, Black, white, brown, this guy's authentic. He's legit. He's here to work with the kids. And so it's not that we don't see race and that they don't see race. It's just that that got pushed to the side for the sake of authenticity. And that's, that's what we've rested our laurels on. How long has the RCC been up and running? I believe, I believe if memory serves me right, it started with kids and is it Fairfield Middle School and then they went to Armstrong? Fairfield, uh, well some Fairfield Elementary and MLK. MLK. And, and, then, and then Armstrong High School, yeah. How so long has it been up and running and then talk a little bit about how long it's taken and the reasons you think that that trust started to form. Yeah. Um, we started in 2010 we really, we really hit out in 2011. That's when we really started to, uh, to get things moving. The end of 2011 is when I really started to notice more and more trust. But it, it took me until late 2012 before I entered my first home, before I was allowed inside. Um, because there's always a fear of, of snitching. And I had to prove that uh, I was merely there to work with the kid in front of me. And I had to build that trust. And so it took me a while, I'd say by late 2012. By 2013, um, you know, I'd say myself and one, one of my staff members had, had really kind of became a figurehead in that community. And so we were able to maneuver through. It didn't hurt either that early on we got in with, uh, we, we, we worked with a kid um, extensively that, you know, his brothers ran Fairfield. They're OG, they're as OG as it gets. And we got in good with them. And that gave a lot of credibility early on. It really helped grease the skids for us to, to do the work, this sort of 21 Jump Street style uh, that, that's kind of being, been in our DNA. That, that gave us a little, um, that gave us a little, a little bit of some protection to do what we did early on. Um, and so, and when you, when you said do what we did, you just mean, you mean work with the kids. No. Like you guys aren't cops. No, we're not. Okay. <laughs> we're not cops. Okay. Uh, no, in no way, shape or form, but we, we're, we push it hard when there's, uh, you know, if one of our kids is missing and we need to go find them and it's 11 PM or 1 AM and we get the phone call from a guardian that their kid's missing, they go to us first. And, you know, I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to get in that Suburban. I'm going to go drive and go look. And that means getting out of the car and getting on your feet and, and, you know, going through the cuts, walking through, banging on doors. And it's not a safe job. I mean, it's not something that's really a scalable job for that reason. But that's the way the work needs to be done. And we just kind of jumped. We jumped in and, uh, and we've been doing it that style for, you know, going on eight years. Now, you've had a number of, you've had a lot of success with kids on bikes. You've had success with kids off of bikes as well, but you've had success with the actual program, which led to, I would say, in many ways, almost being like the darling of nonprofits, if you will. Not a traditional nonprofit, but a lot of support. We know this, uh, maybe people listening may not know this, but... I guess one of the biggest national exposure hits you got was last year, 
recognized by CNN as one of their end-of-the-year CNN heroes for the work that the Richmond Cycling Corps has done. So it's a big thing. It's a large, like, in the sense of having people really understand what the Richmond Cycling Corps has been doing. Uh, it, it's, it's not, you know, it, it's not a small thing. And I, and I mentioned that um, going into especially the last week of what we're doing and all of that stuff is, I believe, again, all that stuff I know is well-deserved because I know you and I know the work that you've done. And full disclosure for anyone listening to this podcast, um, the Cheats Movement has done things with Craig Dotson and the RCC. The RCC they uh, has been supportive of Cheats Movement activities. And, and while we're friends and I'm a friend of the program, um, that doesn't mean we're going to actually have a, an easy exchange, right? I know this has been um, a learning experience i would say at the at the at the brink of the last kind of last couple of days and i do want to talk about daquan's post rcc sharing it the reaction and i'll start with how it came to my attention and then how we actually started talking about it um and then we'll go from there but it will start with I got <laughs> my wonderful, for anybody that doesn't know, my wonderful, amazing wife, uh, Aria, woke up. Well, she she saw the post last Friday, sometime Friday night. And Saturday morning, she told me, like, you're going to have to go get your boy. Like, she was extremely uncomfortable about the post being put out. Daquan's post being put out on social media. Um, I actually got hip to it. I sent a message. I didn't go on social media right away because I know you and I know the RCC and I know the program. I sent a message to the RCC page expressing my discomfort in regards to the exposure of the post to the young man. And you did something you didn't have to do. You actually picked up the phone and called me literally, uh, I don't know, a couple minutes after, and was like, yo, Cheats, can we, can we talk about this? And without doing anything else, I kind of realized that you guys were looking at this in a way that was detailed. Maybe not in a way that you looked at when you made the post, or you shared Daquan's post. So let's talk about it. I don't want to ramble too long, too. Let's go back to Friday, or I guess Friday morning, Friday afternoon, mm-hmm. um, you had kids in the program, you knew that the the neo-Nazi Confederate rally was coming on Saturday, and you wanted to take these kids, well, what was the goal, what was the intent of yeah. what was happening? Let's back up a little further. Yeah, yeah. I'm, and I'm sorry. Just if for I, a just, second. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, all, it's good. Um. <clears throat> A bit ago when when Charlottesville, you know, sort of happened, um, when when that that day, that Saturday, um, I was at our building, which is uh, just a few blocks from the majority of where our kids live, and um, we had seen what happened with the video in Charlottesville, and. It had been out for about an hour, and at that time, Daquan and actually his his, uh, his best friend Tawante had come by, and uh, we were working in the building, um, myself and, and one of my staff, and uh, Daquan had seen the video and, and said, "Have you seen?" And I said, "Yeah, man. What do you think?" And he said, "I'm I'm glad that woman got hit because she was a racist." So. Through his neighborhood is like a really bad game of telephone. So he didn't understand, and a lot of people, folks, didn't understand in his community the concept of counter-protesting. And so we were the ones to kind of break it down and show him the schematics of, of the protest and how the protest works, to which he was very upset that she, she got hit. Okay. After that, we, we were very, uh, we had become very adamant that 
we needed to make sure that there was a plethora of education towards these kids leading up to what may or may not, at the time, may or may not happen in Richmond. Let me back up a little bit more. For the past few years, we have taught the, the, the youth, the young men in our program from Ben Campbell's book, Richmond's Unhealed History, and from various other pieces of literature, the con very, very much the context of historical policy, institutionalized racism, institutionalized oppression. Um, and so for two weeks, even leading up to taking them to see the monuments for the first time, they'd never seen them, we educated extensively. And I think that's a lot of context people are missing. And not only do we take them through that education, we take them through the application to what's going on within their neighborhoods, which within their culture, within public housing, and how those things are threaded. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in really quick because I know that that is a big sticking point for a lot of uh, people in this whole thing was what type of education was the children getting? Do you or why or how did you feel like either yourself or members of the RCC were qualified to provide that type of context to those students? Um, what is your, you know, what is your background or information base in regards to Richmond's history, white supremacy, slavery? Are you qualified? Are you the person to talk about these things with young African-American males? I think those are questions that two weeks from Ben Campbell's book is not going to satisfy a lot of folks. It hasn't been two weeks. It's been, right, right. Right, it's been actually years. Um, we constantly hit, hit the uh, is, Hit the topic. Is that something you feel like you're qualified to talk to here's these the students thing. about? Well, here's the thing. I need to put that out there, man. Yeah. We're we're not the gateway to these to, to to these neighborhoods or these kids. And so, if anyone feels that they are qualified, by all means, please go out there, hit the streets, and if you think you can sit a kid down and take them through historical context, by all means, do it. And and we don't want to jump ahead, but I will say that's something that we've lesson learned in the future. That you, I know, you're talking to people now. Yeah. That it. You're not opposed to that. You're not opposed I'm to people a, coming. Please. I don't want it to come off sounding no, like go. that's a challenge. You know what I mean? It's not. Uh, it may be. I mean, it, but let me ask: Are you opposed to people with different, you know, you know, education to come in and talk to the kids about? Absolutely okay. not. Okay. And see, I think that that's a misnomer. Right, right. right. And, and, and the other thing is, no, we're not. We're not like uh, putting up a, a, a toll gate for people to go work with these kids. There are thousands of kids that in public housing right now that are in a, they are, they are in a vacuum and they need help, they need people to go out there, they need people to educate them. I, people need to slow down for a second. We cannot be all things to all people. We do the job the best we can. We are a, we operate as reactionary as the environment that these kids come from. We are on call 24 seven. And when we get a second to come up for air and take a breath, we take the time to educate. We take the time to get into the response mode and then the planning mode with these kids. So, so fast forward to... So fast forward, the, the uh, protest was going to happen, and we thought we did, not, we did not want another situation to happen where the kids were not informed to their best ability for their opinions as... To, to not allow the mistake of, of the sort of the mush mouth or the bad game of telephone to happen again that happened from Charlottesville. And so we had taken five of our youth who we, we've worked extensively with for one of our, our youth. He's going on his eighth year with us. Um, for the other youth, uh, young people that we took, um, they're all, except for one, they are all multiple year participants of this program. We took them down to the monuments and we allowed them to formulate their opinions and I will say right now they don't like they had a visceral response to not like the monuments they don't like them as we went to each monument we finally got to Arthur Ashe where we sat and we talked the three of the youth uh, had sort of threw, thrown out their their opinions without much articulation 
Daquan and Tawante sort of stuck around at Arthur Ashe with, with a staff member and started to chew on some thoughts, and you could see that they had a lot they had a lot of ideas. They had a lot of conviction percolating in them, and it was it was interesting to see it. So we sat there for about 15 minutes and, and tried to get it out of them. And, uh, and so we were driving home, and I was dropping a, a few off, and my staff member was dropping. Uh, he goes by Kodak, by the way, but... Uh, so if I say Kodak, it's Daquan. Mm. If, I, if I switch it mm -hmm. out, it was dropping off Daquan, um, and I called him. And I said, "Yo, Kodak, you got something, man. It's in you." And this kid has been a brick wall for us. He's really been shut down, and just this past summer was the first time it took that long to get him to open up to us on a deeper level. How long has he been in the program? He's going on a second year. So, seventeen-year-old. He's good. Yeah, he's going on seventeen. He'll just be seventeen, and. Uh, He's been through a lot, man. Mm. He's been through a lot. I mean, and that's, I got to put that out there right now. You know, a lot of people say, hey, you know, a kid shouldn't have, this kid has been through more adult situations than I will ever have gone through in my entire life. And it frustrates me that people think that because to to come from the, the situations he's come through, he's bounced around public housing his entire life and his mom is a soldier as well and they have soldiered through some situations that is would be overwhelming through 10 lifetimes and so f for individuals to say this kid this this young person is not 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 exactly worthy of an opinion is insulting and so i'll leave that there but well yeah we'll pick up on that because we'll there's, there's, there's another part there's but another good part good, good. But, so we uh I said, man, why don't you come back to the building and we'll just get this out, dude. You can, you, we, we can, you can write. I'll help you get this out of you. And so, let me ask you this really yeah. quick, though, because I want to be, I want this part to be clear because this has been said a lot, and I want you to say say what you were thinking in your own words when you brought them to those monuments to view them. Did the RCC? Did yourself? What was the? What was that agenda? For them to formulate their own opinion, because that is not something that was happening for them. There within public housing is such a concentration of so many things, obviously, poverty, trauma. And within that concentration is also a opinions that become imitation. And we were not about to allow that to happen for what we thought was going to be a major um, uh, demonstration to happen in, in Richmond on Saturday. So our, our agenda was merely to get them to formulate their own opinions. So then, with that said, you get to authorize, get back home, Daquan, you're, 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 he's got a reaction, you start to see that reaction. What, what happens then? At that point, we get back to our building and... Uh, I do a quick whiteboard session with him because he's he's making statements and we're filtering them through um, to get him to articulate. And so I said, "Look, man, just get on the laptop, type, just type it out, not 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 to do anything, but to to just for me, what works is to just get it out of myself, and you know whether that's a notepad or or via laptop, you know, just get it out." So the kid puts his headphones in. Uh, I go up the street to a group home to check on, on, a, on a new kid that's been sent my way. I spend about 30 minutes at the group home talking to this new kid. And uh, I come back, and he just pulled his headphones out, and he's like, I'm done. And I'm like, look, man, email it to me, email it to, to, to my staff. Let me run you home. And uh, in the process of coming after driving him back home, which is only a few blocks up the street, really. I'm coming back, and my staff member calls me and says, have you read this? And I said, no, I, I just literally just dropped him off. He emailed it to me. I'll check when I get home. She's like, you need to read this. I've never seen, I've never seen this from him. He's, he's, he's shouting. And so I come home. I check the email, and uh, 
the intention was, hey, here's a kid that uh, doesn't get a voice. And we, we want to become the antenna and broadcast his voice for him. So that's when you got, got his words. Uh, safe to say, what's the best way to say this in this way, given the platform that we're in? Uh, safe to say you, got, you and your staff resonated with his words. It's safe to say we resonated with his conviction. Okay. It's safe to say that they're his words. Look, my job is to work for these kids. And I mean no insult or I don't mean to discredit my formal board of directors, but my board of directors is the kids that I work for, hands down, and it will be. And that is also why, as an executive director, I work in the trenches. It has been a... It's been very important for me as in starting this organization to make sure that there is equity for the kids through me. And so not to have the executive director stand back and sort of be in Oz while the front lines are doing their work with the kids and there's a disconnect in communication. And, and, and so I won't go into Daquan's words directly because... Um, obviously it's been read how many times and shared how many times yeah, and posted how many times many. and um, I, I won't go into that I, I encourage everyone to, to read his words but I don't think the reaction to Daquan's words were there's a couple things we want to talk about about the reactions of the words but I think the key issue for I will just say, I can only speak for myself and my family, was that it was shared on the RCC Facebook page, social media page. And by doing so, it appeared as if, with the commentary that came with it, which was these are his own words and this type of thing, it came as if two things. One, it did come as if it may have had an agenda to that the RCC endorsed Daquan's opinion of what he's seeing. A couple things. Two, it came as uh, a 17-year-old writing about, that's that's his experience a lot, but writing about his very his view, which is a valid view that, again, you said nobody asked him about, which is a very important part of this. No one really ever asked the kids in those communities, their views about these issues, or are able to ex expose them how you have on your social media page alone. Uh, however, I would say the thing that really instantly, I would say instantly gave me the, oh, this, was, this is not right, is that that post was going to be allowed to be used by people with an agenda, even if you didn't have one or the RCC didn't have one at the time, they were going to be used by people with an agenda to say, see, this kid lives in public housing. This is his first time seeing the monuments, yeah. and he's worried about these other things. So in the climate that we're in, right, that's where, where monuments is a lot of the talk, and there's a lot of manipulation around messages and agendas and these types of things, the challenge that I, you know, we found in our household was there was no, you know, what's the word, oversight or supervision to say, we're opening this kid up, we're opening the program up, we're opening the family up to be manipulated into something that wasn't the mission. And now, so like, was we stepped back and we've lived through this for a couple of days now and everybody... Thousands and thousands of shares, thousands and thousands of comments. Um, do you see the challenge there? Do you see? Do you, do you think there was a mistake made? Mm. Are there ways that you saw that this went left? And you can start wherever you want, yeah, but I yeah. just wanted to. Yeah, the the apology. Um, the first apology is we took a very, we took a very pure narrative. With very pure intentions and put it on a very unpure medium. That, first and foremost, is the apology. The second, um, the second mistake was 
my job is to support and develop these kids, but very much so to protect them. And so to put his narrative out there where other individuals could perversely spin it towards their agenda is simply not fair. But I have to say, if, if you read his narrative, nowhere is it binary. It doesn't say either or. It was merely a statement of his hierarchy of need. And if you want to call that social justice, that's fine. But I can say that public housing and the low-income housing and the residents that reside within such very much is a vacuum. And at this point right now, there are vacuums. The activist movement is a vacuum. And the vacuums are not talking to each other. They're silos. Daquan, his voice represents that silo, which is often a voice never heard. And so was there enough context prefaced before putting out his narrative? Probably not. At the end of the day, social media is a one-dimensional medium, and this very much is a three-dimensional topic. So that in and of itself could have been a mistake and probably was. I'm going to go even further and say that yeah. that's – I think, I mean, like I said, I think that that level of exposure, that level of, some people have gone as far as calling it exploitation, yeah. and I think it opened it up to be exploited. Yeah. I mean, I want to be very clear. Absolutely. I, 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 I want to be, I want to keep, be, keep it as hundred as possible. Yeah. We were upset. Well, <laughs> you know, the well, message that we got hey, we were was upset. upset. Well, the message we were getting, and it was, we were upset because let me, let me, you know, do the same. Wait, I just want, I, yeah. I, I want to be fair you. as possible. It's, but there's a lot of talking on both sides of, of the mouth. Um, a lot of activists traditionally will leverage public housing, low-income communities and the people that reside there to push an agenda. And they don't, they don't typically go into those communities. They, they want a, a both agenda as well. The monuments ought to come down, and we should go in and fix communities and schools. However, from an action standpoint, a lot of times those things aren't being done. And so a lot of times people point the finger at public housing and the people that live there and say, look what institutionalized racism, historical policy, uh, system, uh, institutionalized oppression has done. And the minute a 17-year-old from the sidelines raises his hand and says, yeah, but I'd like to, and it felt very much like people were going, no, now you shut up. You don't, you're not allowed to talk. His comments were not to be, uh, they, were, they simply were not binary. It is not an either-or situation. It should be both. But for individuals who live within those communities, the monuments probably just are not on their top 10. We are not pushing an agenda. We're pushing a narrative that says for these individuals that live here that are constantly used as a fixture for the activists to push an agenda, there's no voice. And the other side of that and the side that was so angered so many of us was there are people that don't give a crap about Daquan. Nope, and we saw that. And they were retweeting yeah, and saying, absolutely. look, the monument should stay because the youth shall lead us and all this crazy yeah. stuff to push their own agenda. That's that right. Ha- and those people, we know, That's right. we're not going to step foot in a fair field. Nope. And, I, and, I, and I'm not saying that. Yeah. I, like, I'm not there. You're there. You yeah. know what I mean? But... We knew those people, the people that were resharing and attaching on to this boy. And that's where a lot of folks was like, does the RCC, does the Richmond Cycling mm. Corps, does yeah. Craig, does his staff, do they understand this part, like this Here, element of here's, it? Here's really what sort of happened. We were, we were uh, holding strong at, at about 100,000 100, people reached. We were still within a community of people who knew us knew us well with our intentions. Once we hit the 120, 150,000 people reached, um, we lost control of our narrative. We lost control of, of our brand. We lost control of um, the intention. 
And and did you see that coming? The the the, the, we, the viral reaction oh, of these words. You you we could not have forecasted that. Our biggest reach prior to this, I think, was maybe sixty thousand people. Um, you know, during the CNN thing, and I think that, you know, you sort of said earlier, RCC is very big, and we've gotten a lot of exposure. I will tell you personally, I've got my head stuck in the sand. I don't do a lot of interviews. I don't. The CNN thing was very uncomfortable for me. Uh, I don't feel like a hero. I go to work every day and get my teeth kicked in, and I go back the next day and get I get my dentures kicked in. That's the nature of the work. Um, so the work has always felt very small, very high detailed, very almost. Uh, and to an extent, it is. It, How many kids are in the program? Uh, we've got twelve proper, and then I've got another probably 12 that I work with around so, high so school. So even with that, 24, it's still a very micro... It is It is as micro as it gets. Right. We're putting upwards right now of uh, 50 hours a week into one kid. Mm. The forces at play are demanding this, and this is just, you know, a lot of people don't see. It's not, you can't go out there once a week. You can't go out there and just put a kid on a bike and expect to change his life. So... Um, yeah, we, we just, uh, we, we, had ne we didn't think it was going to go so viral. That was nothing that we could have predicted. And because it just hadn't happened for us before. And it just became uh, a thing that unfortunately started to almost cannibalize itself with comments. And that's, that's where things went awry. Well, but, no. I mean, we would say it went awry by just, post. just putting it there. At the right? post. Because... Whether people agreed with it or not, the fact that that exposure led to opportunities for exploitation or exploitation or whatever you want to say, the post was the era, not the reaction, people's reactions to it. Because once it's out there, it's out there. Same thing like this interview. Once it's out there, there there'll be people that'll hit me, there'll be people that'll hit you based off of this talk. Yeah. But once it's out there, it's out there. I don't apologize for the post. I apologize for perception of the post at the at the end of the day man it's optics versus virtue let me let me let me clarify one thing though because yeah. you said you don't apologize for the post which is you don't qualify you don't apologize for daquan's words correct correct you do think it was a mistake to put it public in I, social I think, on social media i think it's a mistake to expect people to act decent i think it's i think it's a mistake to ask people to do research first before talking nowadays. I think it's a mistake in the year 2017 to have the expectations of people to slow down and be mindful and think. Because if you go back and you really, really slow down and you do research on RCC, if you don't know us, you will approach that Facebook post in an, through an entirely different lens, I promise you, because people have, have, have reached out and contacted us and they have said, I was rash, I went back, I went through your previous Facebook posts, I watched videos, I Googled you guys, I read things, and I feel differently, I feel differently about what I said. I, we don't expect everyone to do that. I, on Saturday, when it was about 700, 750,000 people reached, and, and there, were, there were attacks coming, rash attacks coming, hate coming at at Daquan, rash attacks coming at RCC. I drove out to Daquan's house, and I pulled his mom aside, and we sat in the kitchen for at least 45 minutes. And I said, Ma, what, you know, what do you want to do? Um, my job is to protect your son, and I'll, I'm ready to, to pull it down. And she looked at me straight in the eyes, man and said, it is the truth, what he said, I support my son, and it stays. Now, now hold on, let me back mm -hmm. up. Because, yeah, because I want to I I say, because here's the thing, and I don't want to get into the weeds on this particular part, I don't think anyone is blaming, and there's some people that do, but those people I will dismiss. The people that will blame a 17-year-old kid with his view of the world as to what he has seen. Mm-hmm. I think the challenge is, and, and, and this is just from knowing the program, I think the challenge is that people like yourself, people like your staff, got caught up in being so far in the trenches yeah. that when someone was supposed to pull back and say, 
wait a second. It didn't matter if the post to me, didn't matter if the post got one like, no comments. Should we, should that post had still been there? By you guys not, you know, by, by, by the, not the pullback there and say, this has the potential of being super viral or not. And let's, and let's, let's talk about this and let's transition because mm -hmm. there are other ways in the future that we're talking about that will bring even more context. So, for example, if it wasn't just Taquan, if it was all five students, and you walked into an art gallery or Art 180 or one of those wonderful places in Richmond and read all of their narratives, and you saw that it was more than meets the eye, that, wasn't that all of them had the RCC stamp, but that's different than one post, one opinion, RCC stamp, and now there's an expectation that people have to understand that the history of the program, the, That's the right. and so you you see where I'm getting at there on that yeah, part. Yeah, but I, I know, okay, go ahead. I, I, absolutely. Um, it, but you know, I gotta say, Daquan was not lending his insight to a worldview or a national view. Daquan was lending insight from a neighborhood that most people would prefer to just ignore. It is an inconvenient truth, and it is an unfortunate reality. And the problem, man, is the rock gets kicked downhill. And every damn day, he's got to wake up, and at his doorstep is that rock from a lack of social justice that is in the spotlight right now. And so all he wanted to do was shed light and it was met with heat. He tried to show virtue, it was met with volume and the medium was wrong. It, the, the, the purity was too good to be put on such an unpure medium. And so to your point of, do we put this in an art gallery and we frame it up and we make it look nice and we force people to slow down and read it and think about it and chew on it and think about it and read it? Absolutely. The mistake was made in the medium and the mistake was made in there's no room for argument. It's just attitude. There's a line in the sand right now uh, just in our country. You're either on this side or you're on this side. And we are so myopic in our work, to your point, being in the trenches. We go down so deep because, like Daquan said in his essay, my world, my, he didn't say my neighborhood. He didn't say my community, he said my world. The view at this point, man, is that the umbilical cord has been snapped and there is an entirely different world that exists within public housing. So the tale of two Richmonds is what we're talking about, basically. It's beyond the tale of right. two Richmonds, okay. but, but, yeah. but I'll go with that. Yeah. Okay, but it is so, it is moving at such a rate, his world is moving at such a rate with such momentum and such negative forces every second, every minute, every hour of every day that to say it's overwhelming is an understatement. And then this kid is shouting. This wasn't an opinion. This was a cry for help. This was shouting and saying, I live here. This is my hierarchy of need. Everyone has a hierarchy of need. And I don't have the convenience to go and march at the monuments. That's not, that's not in my sphere. That's not in the world that I live in. And I'm just, I'm just a kid that you're probably never gonna meet probably never going to think of, and, and this is how I feel. My job is to, to give them a voice. For so long, I've been the voice of those kids. And this is really the first time I've said, you got something to say, man? We're going to back it. We'll give you an antenna. Here's a microphone and put it out there. Again, the medium vulturized the, the content. And you, and you own that. I own that. I own that. 110%. Let me ask this, because we do have to wrap this up. It's gone... Uh, a little bit longer, but I do. It's very important that we talk about uh, going forward because, as of right now, you know th that Facebook post is still up. That's the last thing that's up on the RCC page. Uh, you're talking to me. We're going to get this interview out. But lessons learned from the RCC, lessons learned, and how you're going to apply those in the future. What does that look like right now? Right now, it's uh, we're probably gonna back out. Um, 
lessons learned. You know, social media is uh, it's not the platform for us. Um, we 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 push the envelope. We we've definitely been known. Uh, we we make no no uh, no bones about it. Like we know we we're, we shake the snow globe uh, in the community and. Part of that's my personality, and part of that's the fact that we try to give a voice to the voiceless, um, and we try to look at we, we try to look at things and say these are these are gaping problems. Um, you know, it's kind of like saying, "Hey, some of the electrical sockets in my house are are not working," and and for the communities that we work in, it's like, "Yeah, but but the house is on fire. So do you want to put the house out? Do you want to put the fire out first, or you want to get the receptacles working in the house? Like you gotta." But you gotta again, shift your priorities that, around. They've got to do both at the same time. You gotta do like you, that's that's the thing, especially when you're talking about these types of social justice uh, monuments. When we're talking about the climate that we're in now, I don't. We don't. I don't think it's your intention. I don't think it was Dequan's intention to make it a binary choice, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. So these things have to be addressed, and these things have to be addressed. So. It may not be the house. The house analogy may not be the best one because obviously you're going to put the fire out of the house first before you fix the electrical socket. But you can talk about removing and replacing monuments and fixing education at the same time. Absolutely. No, and, and you should. Okay. And these uh, things, these things, these okay. things should never be mutually exclusive. The, the, but again, for, for, a, for a kid or, or anyone living in public housing, uh, they're just simply as a hierarchy that the, the fires are every day and you have to put fires out. And so those receptacles often just go unnoticed. And that's, again, that's an inconvenient truth and an unfortunate reality. Uh, going forward, we're just gonna, we're, we're just gonna slow it down. Um, looking at how viral this went mm -hmm. uh, with such, it was unanticipated to, to get like this. What? It gives us, a, you know, it gives us a different, uh, a, a different perspective on on individuals and sensitivities, uh, for sure. Well, what it does is gives you an opportunity. And so um, what is the opportunity that the Richmond Cycling Corps hopes to build upon this incident? I know a couple, just because we talk. Yeah. I, mean, I know the possibly opportunity for having bigger dialogues, dialogues with different community leaders. I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, that, that, and that's where we are. And so those things are already happening. Um, I think getting greater dialogue, deeper dialogue on both sides, because we we very much represent a bridge from this side of Richmond and this side of Richmond. And I think that the dialogue goes both ways. So the opportunity is to talk. The opportunity is to communicate, not uh, just you know throw rocks at a narrative. Um, that doesn't work. The other opportunity I want to bring up, and it's been said, and I, I know you don't shy away from this, and you may not be able to comment on this, but opportunity like the racial diversity of the leadership, the race, racial diversity of the board, those are all things that have been looked at in the last couple of days online for yeah. people that don't know the RCC. Should there be more diversity on your board? Should there be more diversity on your staff? From the operational uh, board, the board at, at what would be considered, I guess, the, the board proper. Yeah, those conversations are already being had. Again, my board are the kids. And so, and again, that's completely myopic, and that's me just having my head in the sand doing the work. But they have been my rudder uh, to do the work the best way that I see fit. So, they, they, uh, they're my leadership, um, and they have been from day one. And I don't think we would we would have gotten this organization to where it is without taking that stance. Now, is that uh, is that to say things in, in perpetuity are going to go like that? I, I can't forecast that. You know, we've gotten to a point where the organization's gotten to a certain size. Obviously, that um, we're sort of at a fork in the road, and I think we need to, you know, really take a hard look at. Um, some of the approaches we've got to, from an operational standpoint. And so I'll leave it at that. And I'll leave it at this with Craig Dotson because, um, again, I, I want to 
be very clear to people that's listening to this conversation. We're supposed to go in half an hour. We're about to hit the hour mark. We went way too long uh, in regards to what we were, um, what I thought my responsibility was. But um, I do want to say in conclusion, and I don't, this interview came pretty hastily for us, um, and I took a heavy responsibility um, to try to uh, relay kind of the, the, the messages and the reactions and the opinions that were in my household from me, myself, and to do that with someone that I know is a friend and to do that with an organization that I support. And if you ask me tomorrow, if you ask me an hour from now how I feel about Craig Dodson, how I feel about the RCC, uh, it would be something to the extent of uh, Craig's my brother, I love him. The RCC is one of the best programs I've ever seen. And they really screwed up with this. Um, granted, different people have different views, um, but that would be mine. Um, I think we've, we've talked this out a lot, and then we talked about um, what the paths, uh, what the opportunities are, what the paths forward are. I will conclude with, I think people want to know or want to understand did given today and what's happened is like, do they get it? Do they full like? Does Craig get it? Like what happened? What's happening? Does he get it moving forward? Um, I can't. Um, I, I I think you've. I think you in this conversation explained some of your opinion on that. You want to jump back in to go ahead. You can say that. Yeah. You know, there's um. We've talked about this, man. You know, you've got the movement kind of going on, which is you know to be woke, right? No, my movement or the movement. The movement. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I was saying, I, I, I am not the. I, I have written that yeah. I am not the most woke person in my own house. Okay, so my um, journey to to being quote unquote woke, you know, started probably in two thousand eleven, uh, and continued, you know, really hard for the past seven years. Um, we're going on seven years. So from that point, um, you cannot do this work at the level that we do it without being woke. And the reason is because within public housing is such a different cultural ideology, mental modeling, that exists, that to do this work at this level, it, it goes, it rubs, it goes against the grain um, of, of pretty much most every social norm that has been downloaded uh, into your psychology. Um, and so you cannot do this work at this level and be such stewards of the emotional trauma and such stewards of the, the inverted priorities in, that often exist within these communities without having be woke because you have to go back to that historical context and hit the reset because there are days where you are just, you've been kicked so hard in trying, it is a lot of days where it's three steps forward, four steps back. And you have to go back and hit, hit the reset and say, okay, you know, circumstance or agency. We have to pull the lens back and say, okay, this is how things got to be this way. You have to go back to some level of conscious understanding, take a, take a breath, and then go back in. And that's and that's a challenge and because that, because woke or not woke, that taking a step back and putting the systems of those monuments did not necessarily come didn't relay in this particular move, and with with that, I think that's the root of the frustration. So I think this, I think I yeah. think and I think we we do have to wrap this up and we're yeah. going to wrap it up. And I will say uh, in closing, one, you didn't have to do this, and you did. Um, Moving forward, I think there is going to be 
uh, a lot of opportunity to uh, further bring that awareness, bring that, you know, system versus agency, my, macro versus micro. And I think, um, you know, it's going to be seen, uh, a lot of people will be off this, honestly. A lot of people will be, are already off this. They're, they're going to be off this and they're going to be on to the next thing. But you're going to be with those kids tomorrow, the day after, the day after. 15, and, 15 minutes from now. Right. And, yeah. and so I think um, what happens moving forward is um, just going to be viewed. And it might not be viewed 60,000, 100,000 times on Facebook, but it's going to be viewed. I will say, on closing, that for people that are unfamiliar with the Richmond Cycling Corps, we're unfamiliar with Craig Dotson. The guy has an open policy, one of the more open policies I've ever seen with the program and with himself in regards to, he's a busy man, but, um, you know, it, it, there's opportunity there. If you do want to hit him up, you can contact the organization online, and I am guarantee you that those guys are going to take that call. Um, and that's where I'll leave it. Um, again, there was a lot. Uh, to be said, I appreciate you taking the time to say what you've said so far, and we'll be um, watching in the future and seeing the results from the, the kids and seeing the results from the organization and seeing the results from yourself. Thank my you, man, man, my brother. Good. Talk to you soon. Thanks, man.